are super excited with our guest this morning, uh, Dr. Dina Dye. And if you have been listening, uh, I hope you're taking notes. Um, you know, you had mentioned, Dina, you're going to post this on uh, your website. Uh, how can people yeah. that might not have heard everything be able to get that? Well, certainly once I've got it, uh, uploaded onto my website. So on my website, um, foundationsintora.com, there is a, uh, at the top on the navigation bar, it'll say returning to Eden, and that's where I will file this particular show. They can go in there, and I'll post it on social media with the link so that they can just go and listen to it. Great, great. So I know we always get asked that question, especially when you're on this. Everybody wants to know, how do I get that radio program? You know, so that's awesome. Um, and we were going to, you were going to mention something about, you know, we were talking about everything going on right now and how, how we are walking away from our civil rights and actually the Constitution and just sort of allowing it to happen. But you had mentioned um, that from a historical perspective, this isn't anything new. Right. So, you know, I have a kind of a different view of uh, the garden, <laughs> the construct back there than, than most. But I'm working on uh, my third book. I've got two chapters in the can, uh, The Temple Revealed in Noah's Ark, Restoring Order. And I've spent a lot of time analyzing sort of the, the structure of how the, the ancient world thought. So, you know, they saw the world as sort of this watery chaos thing. And then out of that watery chaos came dry ground. We see that in Genesis chapter 1. Well, that dry ground they called the primordial hillock or whatever. I know this is kind of cosmic terms, but bear with me. And that primordial hillock or that hill that would come forth out of dry ground would turn into a mountain. So mountains are important themes all the way through the scriptures. Needless to say, we know that Eden was a mountain. You can read that in Ezekiel 28. Noah's Ark landed on a mountain, right? Right. Yeah. As you move, you keep moving forward, you know, Abraham, where does he go? He goes to the mountains. Lot goes to the plains. Like we have a lot of this language through scripture. By the time we get to Moses, of course, Sinai, Sinai becomes the mountain, and ultimately as Israel makes their way back to the land, Zion is the mountain from which government was established, and, and then of course when we see Yeshua the Messiah resurrected from, you know, the Mount of Olives. So mountains are important things because mountains in scripture came to be identified with temples. So what they used to do is on the top of a mountain, they would build a sanctuary for the god. The god would give the design to the king. They'd build a sanctuary. The king would have his throne in there. So the top of the mountain was where government was established, where they ruled and reigned from. So mountains and government and temples all became synonymous terms. And so the, the temple was the place from which government, you know, operated. And this, when you get out to, into ancient Mesopotamia, the big problem there is they don't have any mountains. It's flat, okay? So they would build these things called ziggurats. And at the top of the ziggurat would be the, the sanctuary for the god. 
Now, when, when one ascended the ziggurat or when one ascended the mountain and entered into the temple on top of the mountain, the imagery there for the ancients was that you entered into heaven. So heaven was associated with the top of the mountain and earth, you know, or the underworld was associated with the bottom of the mountain. This is just the way they thought, and this is the way they expressed their world. So mountains and governments became important. You'll see that, um, for example, you know, in the book of Daniel, we have a lot of that type of language. Uh, you know, we have the different, we have the different uh, empires, the Babylonian, the Assyrian, the Persian, etc. And so they would all build their center of government, you know, on top, on top of the mountain. So what I'm trying to tell people, you know, we don't, everyone, how do I put this without, <laughs> when we describe heaven, we tend to describe it as a sort of airy fairy world up in, you know, way up there and things are floating around and there's hosts and councils and stuff like that. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? But yes. that's not what they meant. So the councils and the hosts of heaven we're all related to the officials connected to the government of the empire. Okay, that's kind of important. So we go back, as far as we can go back, the very first empire was Sargon I of Assyria. Up until that point in ancient Mesopotamia, you had mostly uh, city-state. So for example, Kish or you know, wherever you're talking about, uh, that is, that's the seat of government was in the city state, but Sargon saw that he could push out, take control of all the city states. And he basically controlled land from, uh, Mesopotamia all through the fertile crescent to the Mediterranean. And so he, he, he was the first world empire. And he believed that he, from him, the other empires emulated what he had done. One of and the the most important point to me about world empire is the way that they they expanded their empire. Um, they used propaganda, and then when they would write about their particular time in as as emperor or em, uh, world leader, they would lie about everything they did. So they would exaggerate their military conquests. They'd make up stuff and they'd say they defeated people that they didn't defeat. So the very nature of world leaders and empire is propaganda and lies. Okay. Now we go back to the garden. We see the, the very same thing. I personally, in my opinion, you can disagree with me. I'm totally fine with that. But the imagery of the serpent in a garden has more to do with uh, kingship, false kingship like Sargon than it does with something, you know, writhing on the ground. And so the very nature of world empires is lies and propaganda. So we go through the same with the Babylonians, Persians, and up into the Romans. That's how they rule. That's how they expand. And so now today we can see the same thing. The, we have two entities. You know, we have Western culture, Western civilization, Judeo-Christian values, and we have the globalists. And the globalists would like to destroy every border on the planet and bring world order. That's what Sargon did. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. That's what Tiglat Pilitzer did. It's what Sennacherib did. It's what the Roman Empire did. That's what they do. So that's the battle we are fighting. 
The globalists, their goal is to destroy the Constitution and the civil liberties of individuals, to destroy nations, nation states, and to have everyone lumped under one big, happy, you know, global family. So that's the, what, three-minute version <laughs> of history and tyrants, okay? <laughs> wow. Well, that, you know, and, and that is exactly what we're seeing right now. And I, I don't know um, how many of you have read uh, David Wilkerson. He, he received a vision in 1973, and it was all about the future of the United States. And he actually published a book called The Vision. I don't know if some of you might have read it or our listeners may have read it. But anyway, in the prophecy was about a worldwide recession caused by economic confusion. And, and it, he, he described it as a, a flood of filth and a baptism of dirt in America. And I thought, wow. And that's exactly what we've seen. And the interesting thing about his uh, prophecy, uh, he reiterated it in uh, 2009 and, in a blog that he wrote, and he called it an urgent message. And he had said that, uh, but concerning New York City, he says, for 10, yes. for 10 years I've been warning about a, a, a thousand fires coming to New York City. It's going to engulf the whole me megaplex, including areas of New Jersey and Connecticut. And major cities all across America will, will experience this. And it, it, this fire ends up being a pandemic. You know, I think he saw it more as a literal fire. But he said that yeah. it would be a, an earth-shattering calamity affecting the whole earth brought on by the wrath of God in judgment. So, yeah, that guy was way ahead. Of his, I mean, I used to read all his weekly. I mean, it was pretty depressing. You're like, oh my gosh, the world was going to end. But, you know, through the 80s and stuff. But, I mean, he was on point. You know, he, he saw exactly where this was all headed. You know, the culture and, you know, the marriage of the church and the culture and, and allowing, you know, the filth and the immorality in. <laughs> You know, with no, we, you know, no more boundaries and gates and, you know, into the church, if you will. I'm just, I'm speaking in generalities. Right. So, yeah, I mean, look at this. And so, you know, we have a worldwide crisis. This is when authoritarians move in. You can't have a power vacuum. So they're going to move in and they're going to reset things when you're in a crisis, when you're not looking, when you're freaking out, when, it, you know, your world is falling apart. That's when they move in. And that's what they're doing right now. Uh, China is doing that very thing. So for 25 years, our the our, you know our American globalists, our congressmen, our world, our uh, free traders, Wall Street, our corporatists sold out the United States. Yeah. You know for cheap labor, and right. of course all of our manufacturing production went to China. But it was it was even worse than that. So from what I've understood, there some, was something called the Confucius Program in which the Chinese have been burrowed their way into every university in the United States and have funded these uh, universities with big, big bucks. And then they, you know, bring in Chinese students and they're training them in all of our technology and science. And then they go back to China and work for the CCP. Uh, the Chinese are taking advantage of this right now while we're down, kicking us while we're down. 
and they are, you know, they are intent on world domination. They're going to do whatever they can do. Uh, it's frightening what's what's going on. So not only are we dealing with that, we're also dealing with within uh, the tyrants and the authoritarians rising up in the Democrat Party. Um, you know, we said we mentioned earlier. Imagine right now if the Democrats had control of the House, the Senate, and the presidency, uh, oh, we wouldn't even be able to breathe. We would be and speaking. So, we would be speaking this program in Chinese right now if we even could. <laughs> yeah, they can translate my book. You know? <laughs> yeah, but, uh, this is just, uh, this is, uh, you know, we are in a very precarious moment. I, I'm grateful for the leadership of the president. Um, I, you know, he, he knows what's going on at that, I'm sure. Uh, he's got a lot to fight against. But uh, it was kind of a brilliant move and, you know, part of Federalists to, to allow the states, you know, to determine their own destiny. And this has shown what uh, blue state governors do. Uh, they just, so the Illinois governor just extended their shutdown, lockdown until the end of May. Ours just extended our lockdown till the middle of May. And here's the deal. So I, I work with um, a gal named Elisa Martinez. She's running for U.S. Senate in New Mexico, and I serve as co-chair on her Christians for Elisa coalition. So I was on a call with some, you know, pastors and stuff. One of the pastors has actually filed a lawsuit against the state. And his lawyer told him that, that our governor wants to keep the state locked down until Christmas. Whoa. Can you believe that? Yeah. So her goal is, you know, universal testing. She wants all of us to be vaccinated. Uh, I know full well that that is all coming. That's part of this. Uh, you know, who knows if there ever even is a vaccine but her thing is, you know, we won't be able to move uh, for, you know, 12 to 18 months. Again, we go back. All the big box stores are open. All the businesses are closed. I wanted to share. This came to me this morning. So uh, this was from a pastor down in Silver City. Silver City's down in the southern uh, western part of the state, small town. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. she, has, she has encouraged these task forces to help open business. So this bunch formed a task force in Silver City. And the, the reality is this task force of whoever these people are, are going to set rules so that you as a small business owner are going to be required to take classes and sign off on these rules, which means you're going to be handing over, you know, your civil rights. Um, this this effort, but what she's trying to do is if all these municipalities do this, then she's got cover from AG Barr. So he can't come back at her. And then we're stuck. If you sign your rights away, how are you going to get the Department of Justice to come in on it if you filed suit against, uh, against New Mexico? And so uh, these self-declared leaders are now pressuring the people in the community that if you violate the rules that they have established, arbitrary rules, they will shut you down. And in the meantime, the abortion clinics all over the state have been, you know, working overtime. And, uh, you know, I'm just saying nobody's going to come in and tell me how to run my business, but this is where we are. This is what she's doing. This is quite, uh, quite scary. And this is what New Mexico is. We are dealing with a true authoritarian in power. 
who is uh, lording it over us. Wow. And you know the funny, well, it's not really funny, but the interesting thing is, isn't this exactly what they accused Trump of? You know, he was compared yeah. to Stalin and, and Hitler yeah. and you name it, you know. Any dictator yeah. out there, he was one of those, but it's proven to be just exactly the opposite. Right, yeah. right. It's quite frightening. And I should say, um, we have to ask, why do the blue state governors keep extending these uh, shut-in orders? Why will they not lift it? Why will they not let businesses open? Uh, you know, why can 20 states just open, but they can't? And this, in my opinion, comes down to the election. The, the end game... Yeah, the end game in this is mail-in ballots, yes. ballot harvesting, because it was so successful in California in the last election. I don't remember how many uh, Republicans lost their seat in Orange County, but it was I don't know five, six, or seven somewhere in there. So ballot harvesting works every time it's tried. They, our governor, uh, our secretary of state wanted to be able to mail ballots to every human being in New Mexico. So normally when you do absentee, you've got to send in a request for it. You do produce some measure of identification and they send you the ballot. But she wanted to be able to send it to everyone, which would have included, you know, dead people and dogs. Right. So it lost in the Supreme Court, which is good. But this is all about, you know, I believe our governor on the 15th of May or 14th is going to extend this again so that she, uh, so it'll uh, cause the primary to be closed. They do not want people showing up in person and voting. That is the end game. They want everyone to vote by mail so that they can manipulate to their heart's content. Wow. Well, and and if you look at it, 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 you know, if people will just stop and think for a minute, you know, if you can stand in line at Walmart and and you know, any of the other what they call the big box or essential stores, and there's hundreds of people that are allowed in, you can stand in line and vote. Right. Amen, sister. <laughs> I, am the, I will not comply. So I used to just do absentee ballot, right? So as soon as the Secretary of State came out yesterday and said she encouraged people with absentee ballots over my dead body, I'm going in person. I may not even wear a mask. <laughs> Listen, uh, you know, Michael and I went hiking up in the mountains uh, last weekend. It was a beautiful day. You know, we're out on the trail. There is nobody. Right? It is, you know, there is not a soul around. We come around the corner, and there's this couple. As soon as they see us, they put their masks on. And we're just going, Really? <laughs> really so I and you know pardon me I don't not to offend but I, I'm sorry you know I'm gonna live my life I you know whenever I I guess I'm one of those I've got that rebellious streak in me when somebody tells me what to do I'll probably do the opposite but uh you know could we just have a life here there are hundreds of people standing in line at Walmart with no masks on. Right. Okay, so this whole, whole thing is is uh, ridiculous, in my opinion. Um, yes. But yes, we do need to protect the vulnerable. You know, half, do you know half the cases are in nursing homes? Uh, I read this morning in Massachusetts, 
a nursing home there, 80 vets died out of 230 people because workers, there's staff shortages, so it requires workers to travel to the different nursing homes, and they're, you know, bringing in the virus, and they're not wearing any kind of protective clothing there. So, you know, I, I go back, if we had isolated the nursing homes and really done a bang-up job on taking care of them, if we had... Uh, focused on those in the population that were vulnerable, the elder, elderly with comorbidities. If we had focused on the places where there was a problem. Listen, New Mexico has 2 million population. We have 120,000 square miles that we live on, and we are the fifth largest state. We don't even have 3,000 cases. We have barely 160 in the hospital and 110 deaths. And this governor has shut down the entire state. There are at least 10 to 15 counties with no cases. I live in a zip code with not one case. My county has had no deaths. And so there's been a, an outbreak hotspots on the reservations in, in the Pueblos. Let's focus there, not on the entire state. Yes. Yes. Well, you know what, uh, there was something I talked about too, would you talk about the, in Grants, New Mexico, wasn't that the mayor there or that uh, opened up things and he was defying the orders? Yes, so, you know, the order is, <clears throat> if you have a small business, you can't open it. Unfortunately, right. they would have had a Walmart in Grants, they could have all gone there. Anyways, uh, the mayor of Grants, Mayor Hicks, pretty salty guy, you know, a little... <laughs> on the language part, but, and he's, he's a Democrat. He is not pro second amendment, you know, so I could not agree with him in a, in a myriad of ways. However, he defied the governor's order. And on Monday, just, they had a meeting in the morning. He got his townspeople and said, open up. Now, not everybody opened. Some were, uh, were too worried to do that. Um, the state police had threatened to come under the governor's order, so the state police serve at the pleasure of the governor, and they are caught between a rock and a hard place. And we have state police and family, so I understand the situation. But they kind of sat on the outside of town. It really was pretty quiet. Uh, they opened up a number of businesses. They opened up the golf courses, because golf courses in New Mexico are closed. So are plant nurseries, if that makes any sense. Open up your abortion clinic, but close down your plant nursery. So things were pretty quiet. The governor, you know, is having a cow. Um, we haven't heard anything more. Uh, so her whole thing is if, uh, I think it's on the third side. First, the, so the state police only respond when there is an anonymous tip. So far in New Mexico, there have been 2,200 anonymous tips against businesses opening in New Mexico. I call these people the brown shirts. Give me a break. You're going to call on your neighbors and your friends. And so... Oh. Hold that thought. I'll be back.